Well, we're going to uh, start this morning. I'm going to have us turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And the title of today's message is God Became Man. God Became Man. Now, when we talk about God becoming man, we're, of course, referring to the incarnation, right? Where God emptied himself and he became flesh, he put on flesh, and he came to this earth. It's when God sent his son to earth that he might win us back into right relationship with him. And sometimes we come to the Christmas story and we treat it just like that. We treat it as it's though it's just a story. Like, oh, that's nice, like Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Like, it, oh, that's sweet. That makes my heart feel warm and fuzzy, right? And we leave it at that. But how many of you know there's so much more to what God did by sending his son than just that? That there's so much more to the nativity. There's so much more to the incarnation of Jesus than just Christmas Eve. This is something that is year-round that is to be celebrated, to be reflected on. And, and my hope is that our mind will be renewed according to the scriptures today, that the view of the incarnation of God becoming man will be go, go beyond the night that Jesus came as a baby through the Virgin Mary. And so I want us to start at Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read verse, verse 15. Genesis 3 verse 15. And this is the gospel message. How many of you know, you know, we hear the gospels and we, sometimes we think Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, but how many of you know, no, this is all the gospel, all right? There's the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Luke. But how many of you know the gospel shows up from the very beginning? And we're going to look at that today. Genesis chapter three, this is the Lord speaking to the serpent, the devil. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Notice the capital S. Everybody say Jesus. Come on, church, say Jesus. There we go. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So notice the King James, the new King James, that's what we're reading out of this morning, uses the same word, bruise, for both instances. The serpent will bruise your heel and you will bruise his head, right? But how many of you know this is not the same level of bruising or same level of crushing, right? It is, it is Jesus completely destroyed the serpent. The serpent got a bite in and how many of you know Jesus actually died? He tasted death. But Jesus did not merely interrupt Satan's plan. How many of you know he utterly destroyed Satan's plan, Satan's agenda, Satan's power? Jesus completely crushed the devil, amen? But notice from Genesis chapter 3, at Genesis chapter 3, right here, we are given the entire narrative of the Bible. A seed is coming. A seed with a capital S. A man is on the way. How many of you know a man had to come because man had failed? And so Jesus comes. And so when we talk about this seed coming to earth, we're talking about the power and the plan of God concerning the incarnation, concerning God becoming man. God will become a man. Amen? 
Now, here's the interesting thing. He did not arrive as a 33-year-old man, right? He tasted life to the fullest. How many of you, is, it is mind-boggling to me to think that the creator of all things, the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, he knows what it's like to suffer hunger. He knows what it's like to depend on people to survive, to depend on his parents. He tasted life to the fullest. And this is God's plan. This God-man coming is the answer to all that Adam and Eve lost. Now, I want you just to consider and ponder. Think of all the suffering that stems from the fall of man. Every tumor, every sickness, every allergy, every divorce, every broken home, every war, every famine, all fear, jealous, covetousness, all that is dark finds its origin in sin. And the origin of all sin was demonstrated when Adam and Eve, they turned away from the Lord to talk to the serpent. And how many of you know that is sin's starting point in everybody's life? Where in a moment we declare, Lord, you are not enough right now. I'm going to entertain another conversation. When we have that attitude, when we have that heart, how many of you know we are susceptible? And that's exactly where Adam and Eve ended up. But God had a strategy. He was sending his son to deal a fatal blow to the power of the devil. And the strategy was this. My son will become a man. How many of you are thankful for God's strategy? Amen. So listen to this. Listen. So for every sin symptom, the answer is Jesus. I'm going to say it again because I'm not sure we got it, but it's okay. It's Christmas, right? Merry Christmas. For every sin symptom, the answer, according to God, is found in the arrival of this seed. Your every answer is found in Jesus. Because the Father's every answer is found in Jesus. And how many of you know if the Father's answer is always Jesus, how many of you know our answer should most certainly be Jesus? This seed, God becoming man, it's set in motion every answer to all the darkness, to every sin symptom, to all the chaos, to all the darkness that is in this world. How many of you know there is an answer? And it is this God who became man. Amen? So how does God deal the fatal blow to the power of the adversary? By becoming man. But I want you to notice what that entails. It entails his own bruising. This is so powerful, and, and I want us to capture this today because notice how the father connects the arrival of the seed with his own bruising. Let me tell you, if you are going through life and you are not suffering, then you have not tasted life. 
If you are going through life and, and you've not felt the sting of kingdom advancement, then you haven't seen kingdom advancement. There is bruising that comes with the seed. And this is why. Because the king, he conquers in a certain way. By being bruised. So the incarnation entails the Lord going through pain. Listen to this. Listen to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore, the Lord himself. Everybody say himself. In other words, how many of you know the Lord's handling this on his terms? He says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. How many of you like signs? I love signs, right? It's like, oh, it's so clear now, right? Like, I, I have the moment. I was thinking this, and now I know, right? How many of you love a good sign from the Lord? Yeah? Okay. This is the biggest sign and the greatest sign of them all. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Notice, behold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which that means God with us. Notice the Lord will give us a sign and the sign is the Holy Spirit will conceive in Mary, the son of the living God. That is the Lord's sign. I think sometimes we devalue the power of the incarnation, the power of God taking on flesh, of emptying himself, and we devalue it as though it was God's emergency plan, right? When sin entered the world, Eve tasted, ate of the fruit, and all of a sudden it was chaos in heaven, and God said, mayday, mayday, and hit the panic button and said, we got to figure something out. But how many of you know that's not true? This, is, this was God's Answer, no, God has revealed himself through Jesus and only through Jesus. Somebody say amen. Listen to Zechariah chapter nine, verse nine. It says, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Behold, how many of you know you gotta see it? If you don't have eyes to see, you'll miss the entrance. There is something that needs to happen in our hearts and in our, in, our, in our determination that, no, whatever goes on, wherever I find myself in life, I must look to the Lord because I have to see him. Amen? He says, behold, your king is coming to you. Now, I want you to notice, how does the king come? He says, he is just and having salvation. Notice, lowly and riding on a donkey. Everybody say lowly. Lowly. That's a hard word to say for me, actually. Lowly, humbly. That's what that means. I want you to notice how the king comes. He comes low. He doesn't come with self-exaltation. He doesn't come with an a, a, with a, with a iron fist and demand allegiance. How does the king come? He comes low. Now, we know that this is a prophecy referring to Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, but it is not just limited to this. Listen, he's saying Jesus is coming, and let me show you how he is going to come to you. He enters in a lowly way. 
he enters in a lowly way. Let me tell you this. If the Lord himself was to open up the heavens and reveal himself to you visibly right now in all glory and draped in fire, you would be blown away by his humility. You would be blown away. It is who he is. It is the very essence of who he is. It's the essence of what he does and how he goes about things. It's how he interacts with us. He prefers others. He loves others. He gives of himself. And so the Lord comes with a certain characteristic that is highlighted. It is lowliness, lowliness. And I'll tell you, this is what is being attacked in the church at large. There has been a celebrity status, a black and white status. Listen to them, don't listen to them. Worship with them, don't worship with them. We're better, they're not. Look at us, come here, no. How many of you know there is a problem? This lowliness, this humility, it is being attacked in the church. There is a beauty of lowliness. There is a beauty of serving others, amen? Well, someone might say, well, I want to serve the Lord, but I don't really want to serve people. How many of you know that doesn't work? Because the Lord is married to his people. Well, you know, I've been hurt in the church. I've been hurt by other churches. Let me tell you, you will be hurt in every church that you attend if you attend properly. You can choose to just come with attendance and skim the surface. But if you want Christ formed in you, it requires you to humble yourself, to serve others, to allow yourself to be known. And that opens you up. Amen? How many of you know church is more than just attendance? The purpose of coming together in church is beholding the Lamb of God and allowing his image to become the very image of who I am, to allow that image to be formed in me. That's why we'll say things like, our prayer is that you don't leave the same. Why? Because you've encountered the son of the living God. Amen? How many of you know, sometimes we need disagreement. We need hurt. We need, let me put it this way, because this is the way Jesus put it, you need to be bruised because Jesus was bruised. And if you want to be conformed into his image, you must die to yourself. The way we win in life is we die. Just consider that for a moment, why? because that's exactly what he came to do. There is something that the Lord wants to form in us. And so what we need in the church life is what? We need more lowliness. We need more giving of self. We need more humility. What should we do when we get hurt? What should we do when someone offends us? What should we do when someone wrongs us and they are wrong? We get back on the saddle we look to the Lord and we say, Lord, heal my heart. Because it will happen again. Amen? Merry Christmas.
How many of you know it is often our pain and our discomfort that actually makes us more like him? It's the forging in that fire where he burns away the chaff. What if Jesus actually does work all things together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose? What if Jesus actually uses the situations in our lives to make us more like him? But it requires us to what? To yield to him, to die to our preference. Because I don't know about you, but I don't like pain. I don't like discomfort. Anybody else? Right? I, I want to do everything I can to avoid that. But how many of you know the Lord wants to work something deeper in us? Amen. The king comes lowly. Everybody say, the king. He comes lowly. I, we've got to see Christmas. We've got to see the nativity as one massive declaration of the humility of God. A virgin shall be with child. His name will be Emmanuel. He is God with us. So let me ask you this. What is God really after? What is his ultimate plan and purpose for your life? To conform us into the image of Jesus. Romans chapter eight. I'm not gonna read it. You can read it. Romans chapter eight. God's ultimate plan for your life is to make you like his son. And when we come to terms with that, when we make that our starting point, how many of you know everything else starts to make sense? Everything else starts to come into alignment because God is not merely trying to use you to get a job done. God is not just trying to launch you into another season. I, so many believers, 90% of the conversation is, is, I just wanna know what God wants me to do. But how many of you know he's much more concerned with who you're becoming than what you will do? He wants to conform his son into you. And so if you are just skimming the surface, it's going to be really difficult now, what does it mean to be in the image of his son? It doesn't mean that, well, you know, he has legs, so, and I have legs, right? Like, or, you know, I have emotions and he has emotions, right? Or, you know, I can think and feel and he thinks and feel. No, that, that's a very surface level of being conformed into his image. The image of God is Jesus. Hebrews chapter one says he is the express image of the glory of God. Colossians 2 says he is the image of the invisible God. So let me tell you this. When you set your eyes on Jesus, when you come to the scriptures and you watch him in action, you are looking at God. You are watching God in action. You guys with me? Is this okay? Okay. So when the Lord is thinking about the image of God, he's thinking about his son, and so when we're talking about being conformed into the image of Jesus, what we are talking about is allowing the Holy Spirit through partnership with him and his people to make us like Jesus. God became man and his entrance into this world was lowly, lowly. Let me tell you, do not let influence, the influence of social pressures allow you to be stripped of humility. 
Pride is being celebrated. Your wins, everybody wants a highlight reel. But there's a way that this king comes to conquer. Dying to self. We win by dying. Now listen, when you think of the incarnation, you think of God becoming man, the whole thing starts with lowliness. It's who he is, right? So when, do you think it was humble for God to go talk to Abraham before he, he judged Sodom? I mean, when, before God judged Sodom, he goes to Abraham and he says, let's have a conversation about this. Let's have a conversation. Should I, should I execute judgment? How do you know God doesn't need anybody's opinion whether or not he should judge? But that's not who he is. He's humble. When God told David, you'll know when to advance into battle when you hear the sound of men marching on top of the poplar trees, God was saying, I want to help you in this battle. In fact, don't move until I walk on the trees with the heavenly host. It's God was basically saying, let me get out in front of this battle before you and I'll reward you with the battle that I've won. How many of you know that's humble? That's who Jesus is. Jesus, when he was about to be crucified, he was standing before the high priest and the high priest adjured him by the living God to answer him, are you the Messiah? And the fact that Jesus answered this man, how many of you know that was lowly? He honored the anointing that was on the high priest because he knew the high priest represented his father. And is, let me ask you, is Jesus any less God than the father? No. But notice, he was quiet until the high priest adjured him by the living God and that revealed to Jesus of who Jesus always has been. If my father wants it, I do it. Listen, Jesus saw the authority on those who wanted to kill him and he still yielded to it. That is Christianity. I said, that's Christianity. Everybody say, and pray this with me, say, Father, you are eager to conform me into the image of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and I must cooperate. I'm gonna wrap this up, but listen to this. Ephesians chapter one, verse 22 says, and he put all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Everybody say incarnation. Jesus revealed his desire to fill all humanity by becoming humanity himself. How many of you know Jesus is the God who fills? Jesus is the God who fills. I want our view of the incarnation to go beyond Christmas. He fills all. He is the God who fills all, including you. He is the God who wants to fill your home. He is the God who wants to fill your children. He is the God who wants to fill your thoughts. He's the God who wants to fill your perceptions. 
He is the God who wants to fill those places in your life where you put a big sign that says, do not enter. He wants to fill that. He, is, he wants to fill all things with himself. He's the God who wants to come in. And by his body, he has chosen to fill all things and be all in all. How many of you know Jesus really does want to be all in all? Everything in everything. What does that mean? What, is, what, is, what does that leave for me? Nothing. And that's a good thing. Amen? Jesus knows what it's like to become one of us. I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't say, you know, I'm just going to remain in my non-human body and I'll just coach you along. How many of you are glad Jesus didn't just stay in heaven? No, he came to be one of us. He came to live and taste, taste life to the full. And so the Lord is fully identified with us by becoming a man, and he has dignified humanity by becoming a man. And every time the Father looks at Jesus, he sees his people in him. And every time the Father looks at you, he sees his Son in you. That's the beauty of the incarnate life. He fills. Everybody say, he fills. He fills. Amen. Now listen to this, Hebrews 2.14. says, inasmuch then as, as the children, that's talking about us, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, that's talking about Jesus, likewise shared in the same. In other words, we have flesh and blood, he has flesh and blood. Notice, that through death. How many of you know that's that bruising of the heel? Jesus tasted death to the full. It says that through death he might what? Destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Somebody say amen. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. How many of you know all sin really comes from the fear of dying? He's delivered that. He's delivered us from fear, amen? If you have fear in your life, how many know? He paid for that. He paid for that. And so Jesus, he assumed actual humanity to deliver us from the power of death. How many of you are so thankful? There's so much the Lord has for us, amen? There's so much that he's made available. There's so much he is offering to us. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like us all to stand this morning. We're going to close and we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask that we, we're not talking, but that this is a time where we just look to the Lord. I'm going to ask everybody bow their heads, close their eyes. Friends, this morning you ha we have the great privilege of determining how you will follow Jesus. How you will come his way if you will come to him lowly or filled with opinion and filled with self. And since the Lord Jesus comes lowly to his own, how many of you know we should come lowly to him? And so this morning, 
everyone who's here, you know in the depths of your heart if you are truly living a life of freedom, a life that is free from sin. Maybe you're here visiting because you've been with family this week. Maybe you've never really walked with the Lord. And I'm here to tell you the Lord did not bring you here just for a mere meal or a snack. He brought you here for a much bigger reason. The Lord wants to wash you to wash every stain away and to deliver you from darkness and to bring you to the lowly one of Calvary, the lowly one of the cross. And so if you're here today and you are bound with sin and you want to be free, this is your morning. If you are here today and you're, you've fallen out of love with Jesus and you know it, if that soft heart on the inside has been tainted, if you've taken up opinions that are lofty, that have distracted you, and that flame on your heart has dwindled away, the Lord brought you here for a reason this morning. And what I can tell you is that based on the authority of the word of God, Jesus loves you. And he said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And so if you are here today and you want to respond to the loving one who is in the room and literally staring at each and every one of us because of his love for us, if you are here and you want to respond to the Lord, if you are here and you say, I want to give my life to the Lord, if you are here and you're saying, I want to fall more in love with Jesus. If you're here today and you're saying, I want to be free from this sin, free from this bondage. I want you to just look at me and just slip your hand right up. Amen. Amen. And so I'm going to ask that we all pray this this morning. And let's say this out loud. Repeat after me in a voice loud enough for the person next to you to hear. But I want us to say this together. Say, Heavenly Father, I've sinned against you. Cleanse my sin. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Today I turn from my sin and I turn to the Lord himself. I repent, I turn away from the old things, and I declare Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. Jesus, you died on the cross, and you shed your blood. You were buried and raised again. You are the King of glory. You are the Holy One and I give my life to you. Holy Son of God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we thank the Lord for his word and for what he's done? Thank you, Lord.